Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of the Overanalyst podcast. We're so glad to have you with us today as we dive back into the world surrounding gaming as a culture and an industry. Uh, my name is Brady, the Overanalyst on Twitch.com, and I am joined, as always, by my good friend Tina, or Seth the Overwitch at Twitch and other platforms. Hi. And today we're going to be tackling uh, a different genre of classic gaming entertainment. Um, our last episode focused very broadly on platformers, the types of um, navigation and exploration-based titles that uh, all three of us, who, including our friend Mate, who isn't uh, able to join us today, uh, grew up on. So a genre that was near and dear to us and that's kind of grown and evolved with us. But today we're going to be tackling a genre that, while I think we're both familiar with, um, we certainly can't say we, we like, grew up with or alongside. Is that is that fair to say, Tina? Yeah, I mean, mostly this genre has been popular in the arcades, if I remember mm -hmm. correctly, but unfortunately my city did not have any, so... Yeah. Yes, so we're we're talking about beat 'em ups today, like one of the stalwart genre like uh, heavyweights from the '80s and early '90s. Um, so Tina, when I say uh, beat 'em up, what are some of the first titles or franchises that come to mind for you? Oh, definitely Street of Rage. Oh yeah, Street of Rage. Mm -hmm. I think that's one of the most uh, most popular one. Uh, yeah, and also Beautiful Joe. Really. Yeah. Oh no, that's interesting. I, yeah, I mean, I remember Beautiful Joe only because um, I think a long, long time ago, like I was a big fan of Devil May Cry series, and yes. I remember that uh, one of the Devil May Cry games got postponed or like a little bit pushed back because they were working on Beautiful Joe, and I was really angry about that. <laughs> uh, yeah, and Dante also featured as an unlockable character, and I want to say the PS2 version of Beautiful Joe. Um, yeah, I think it was. Is that? Is that the title that gave us the now infamous uh, featuring Dante from the Devil May Cry series sticker? Uh, I think so, yes. Right on. No, it's it's fascinating, and we're getting sidetracked right off the bat, but you just brought up one of like my favorite uh, properties from one of my favorite <laughs> companies. Um, Clover Team, or Clover Studio, who would go on to produce games like Okami, and then... Mm -hmm. uh, split off to become Platinum Games, producing, like, the Bayonetta series, and, um, what was, uh, Wonderful 101 is the, the Platinum mm -hmm. title. I'm slowly but surely slugging my way through now. Um, <laughs> nice. you would consider Beautiful Joe, like, the, the side-scrolling, um, kind of action, I want to say action platformer, character action hybrid to be a beat-em-up? Mm, I think so. I mean, I wouldn't say it's, like, a traditional beat-em-up but mm -hmm. uh, it definitely has some elements of it. I mean, when I think of, about beat-em-ups, I think about, you know, side-scrolling games that have an incredible amount of enemies. Yeah. Like, m more than there would be in any other type of games. And, like, a solid amount of diversity in enemy variety, a fairly simplistic, yeah. but, like, a technically deep combat system, uh... If we're talking about arcade-based beat-em-ups, I think another hallmark of the genre would have to be ridiculous amounts of recovery time following every move mm -hmm. to ensure that you got hit just enough to warrant a couple extra yeah. quarters being tossed in. Um, but no, that's that's an interesting point, and I, I 
I can definitely see Beautiful Joe in that light. It's been years since I played the games. They're brilliant. Mm -hmm. But um, yeah, you you mentioned Streets of Rage, uh, yeah. which is, I think, I, we're quite correct in saying the most renowned pure beat-em-up franchise in gaming history. Yep. Um, they released a new title or like a remaster or something not long ago, right? Apparently, yeah, Streets of Rage 4. I think it came just a couple of years ago. And have you ever played any of those games? Honestly, I was uh, never a, a big fan of beat-em-ups because for me, like, usually the, the, um, the story was very simplistic. It mm -hmm. would be because, like, uh, something in the lines of uh, some, someone wronged you or kidnapped someone dear to you and you are on your quest for revenge or something like that. Um, so I, I was never really a big fan of, of the stories inside beat-em-up games, which of course is not the, the main point of them anyways, which is why um, I, I think I got into beat-em-up games about a year or two ago when they started kind of coming back, like yeah. um, through indie development and yeah. And so what, what kind of games did you get into then, like during uh, that time? There was this one game, I forgot the name of it, I think it came last year for the Switch. Mm -hmm. uh, I remember that Jacksepticeye also gave a voice to uh, to one of the characters. It was about these two high school girls who were trying to save their boyfriends. Or oh, something like that. The, uh, uh, the River City Ransom sequel, or yes, spinoff. Yes, 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 exactly. Hold on, hold on, I got you. Um, River City Girls, I think it was? Does that, does that something sound like right? that. Yeah, yeah, that's it. River City Girls yeah. released 2019 by uh, Way Forward. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. yeah, no, that's I've heard very good things about that game. Yeah, uh, I I played it a little bit. I didn't finish it, of course, but uh, it it was very it it was cute. It was cute and funny. So, yeah. yeah, and it's a it's a sequel or a spiritual successor to one of the all time great beat 'em ups, uh, River City Ransom which featured mm -hmm. a character prowling around, or characters prowling around, I think, trying to rescue their girlfriends or something like that, because, as you said, a lot of these uh, games have cookie-cutter, very simplistic plots and worlds. But you're right. fighting your way through a number of different gangs, each of whom have, like, uh, different color-coded shirts, because, you know, that's the easiest way to differentiate simple character <laughs> sprites back then. And, like, they would each have their own... Uh, preferences insofar as weapons and combat techniques and all that you could pick up almost anything lying around the world and attack enemies with them uh which for the 90s was pretty pretty deep right for a game like yeah. that i've yeah. i've not played river city girls it looks great but what i did mm -hmm. play of river city ransom i think i got it when i was much younger on the wii for the, as a virtual console release i adored right mm. Um, also, like, I've been, um, uh, going through, the, like, the list of, uh, beat-em-up games, like, in general throughout the years, mm -hmm. and I've noticed that quite a lot of them, um, like, have elements of beat-em-ups, but are not... Pure like, beat-em-ups. Yeah, exactly. So I think that beat-em-ups, uh, like, after some years, didn't stay as a genre, but more like, um... A gimmick in a game, you know? They evolved, or certain elements of the baseline formula were co-opted mm -hmm. by other genres into more... Um, I don't want to say cohesive, because that sounds like a dig at beat-em-ups, but, like, um, 
more uh, diverse systems. Uh, think the same way right. a lot of uh, very, very basic RPG elements were co-opted by things like platformers or action-adventure games or fighters. Yeah. And, um, yeah, like, there is also this genre called shoot-em-up now that kind of evolved from it, because they, they say that beat-em-ups should be kind of like uh, street-fighting um, mm -hmm. games, uh, while shoot-em-ups, you can use guns. But, I, I don't know, I would still put them in the same category. For me, there is not, like, whether you use your fists or a gun should not be uh, one distinct, distinct feature to have completely different genres. Well, shoot 'em ups, as I understand them, uh, collectively refer as a term rather collectively refers to anything done in the style of like an old school um, auto scrolling, like side scroller space shooter game. Mm -hmm. Think like uh, Gradius or mm -hmm. something yeah. like that. Um, and th that's one of the oldest genres. Then, um, even though it wasn't codified as such at the time. Uh, and I have to say, on the whole, if we're talking, like, just pure gameplay experience, I prefer a good shoot 'em up even though I'm terrible at them, to a good beat -em up Yeah, mm, yeah I I'm kind of, like, half-half, you know, I don't mind either of them. But going now further down through the, um, through the game list, apparently hack and slash is a subgenre of beat-em-ups. I wanted to which... talk about this, yes. Yeah, which I, I kind of see because, like, one of the main aspects of beat em ups, like, um, a, a big, a large amount of enemies that are not really that um, difficult to fight, mm -hmm. but there's a large amount of them. I mean, yeah, that's basically what a hack and slash is in a way. Right. It's, uh, in hack and slash seems to me, and we can talk about and define this term in a little bit more depth in a moment. But it seems to me like an evolution of the formula established by like the traditional beat em ups in the same way that open world 3D three D uh exploration based platformers are an evolution of like the very simple side scrolling um athletic games that established platformers. Like like mm -hmm. a modernized iteration upon the formula. Yeah. Um, so, like, in this list, I'm seeing, you know, um, series like Darksiders, Devil May Cry, yep. uh, Bayonetta, even Yakuza is here as well. Character action games, basically. Yeah. Also Dynasty Warriors. Oh, like, yeah. Nowadays, I would put the Warriors games in kind of like in a genre of its own because it's such a... I, I don't know, s such a different formula, at least for me. You know, you have a large battlefield where you're fighting a large amount of enemies, and then you have, you know, a couple of elites. Um, well, the interesting but... thing about the Warriors formula is, like, there's a lot of spectacle. There's a lot of, like, technical sophistication, too, to a lot of the characters' movesets. But if we're talking about mm -hmm. the baseline, like, Dynasty Warriors games... It's not like in a traditional beat-em-up or a hack-and-slash character action game where a lot of the enemies, like, don't put up much of a challenge. In the Dynasty Warriors franchise, it's like 95% of the enemies just aren't there. Yeah. <laughs> Which isn't necessarily a bad thing. You get a lot of really impressive visuals out of that. Mm -hmm. But um, the combat the combat itself, like fighting another character, I'm not talking about just your character's moveset, is nowhere near as deep as even, like, a lot of more traditional beat-em-ups. 
Yeah. Um, so uh, when when it comes to like uh, what I remember about beat 'em ups from the past, um, I remember having quite a hard time distinguishing them from uh, the traditional 2D uh, platformers. Hmm. Um, because like yeah, platformers also included you know collect so, some sort of like co collecting um, was involved, collecting of I don't know um, gems, coins, whatever. Mm -hmm. But also in beat em ups, you are collecting power ups. You are collecting usually some sort of currency to be able to, I don't know, upgrade your armor or whatever you you need to. Sure. Um. So when I was a child, it was a really really difficult um thing to distinguish those two. Well, it's important to remember as well that unlike in today's space. Um, I don't believe genre or a commonly understood notion of genre was anywhere near as important in the conception and marketing of video games in like the 80s and the 90s and so on. Um, mm -hmm. And it's important to remember as well, oh god, here comes my humanities education roaring into the podcast, um, <sighs> that concepts like genre, a taxonomical concept that we use to... Uh, kind of sort and analyze works and say, oh, these are similar because of traits X, Y, and Z, and that distinguishes mm -hmm. them from these over here. That's something that we collectively, as a culture, as a society, create. And the genre, the, these uh, genre definitions, these boundaries, are not actual, nor are they constant. So there's a lot of games, and especially back in the old days, or today with a lot of indies, that kind of defy hardline genre definition, right? Um, mm -hmm. That's why you start seeing more and more, like, hybridized or hyphenated words, like uh, action puzzler, action platformer, um, like uh, brawler RPG, and so on. As we attempt to describe each game by uh, a series of templates or kind of tropes that it embodies in its gameplay design so yeah back in the day tina you're absolutely right there were a lot of games that did blur the line mechanically between genre a and genre b because a lot of those yeah. genres as we understand them today kind of weren't a thing in the developers heads and they weren't a thing in a lot of people's heads they just wanted to make a game doesn't matter uh how it was called and money of um, course yeah yeah of course um, but what I wanted to ask you is, um, remember Contra? Oh god, yeah. Do you think Contra was also a beat-em-up in a way? Um, no. And that's only because, well, firstly, Contra, um, is based less around a really technically sophisticated combat system. There's not, like, a ton of maneuvers you can perform. There's, uh, upgrades and different weapons and all of that, but primarily you are uh, tasked with simply firing your weapon at enemies using a... I believe from the very first game, they had, like, uh, eight-directional or octo-directional uh, aim, right? Yeah, um, yeah. And most of the player's, like, responsibility is just going to be dodging attacks, jumping, mm -hmm. ducking, all of that. 
you're far more mobile, you're expected to dodge attacks rather than tank them, there's not many maneuvers that you yourself can perform, and while there are a great deal of enemies, there's also a remarkable amount of mechanical sophistication in a lot of the mini-bosses or stage bosses you're yeah. going to be fighting. It's not as simple as perform your strongest attacks to knock them down, wait for them to get back up, exploit, uh, or punish weaknesses or things like that. So is it a beat-em-up? Mm -hmm. No, I would say, um... Oh god, here's another one of those obscure genre terms. Over here, the the phrase that I hear used to describe games like Contra most often in terms of genre is run and gun. Uh, which, oh, again, okay. what the hell does that mean, right? Um, yeah. But it's closer to like an action, uh, the first game at least, an action platformer, but like just a straight up uh, side-scrolling shooter from there, like um, an early 2D shooter. What about right. you? Um, I don't know. I mean, it does have like some some of the elements that are definition of beat 'em ups, but mm -hmm. as you said, like there is way too much um um too much of just dodging and being able to predict the enemy's movement or where you know mm -hmm. the like a shot is gonna land, especially the bouncy ones and stuff. So. Yeah, I think it it uses a little bit more uh, expects of you to use a little bit more brain power than a simple beat em up does. Definitely, and it also gives you more tools than a lot of traditional beat em ups had to navigate its uh, challenges. Yeah. Um. Now, the the one classic beat em up franchise I actually have a little bit of experience with, and it's actually after Streets of Rage, the second property I think of when I think of the genre in its most traditional terms is Golden Axe. Sega's Golden Axe. Never Are, heard of that one. You haven't? Nope. So but I was, wasn't a Sega girl, so you know. It was originally an arcade game, I believe, as evidenced by the fact that the games are quite difficult and incorporate a lot of kind of BS recovery time that allow enemies mm -hmm. to just wail on you, where you play as one of three classes in a very traditional, like, kind of high fantasy world. You're either, like, the barbarian warrior, um, the, the sorceress, or the dwarf. Um, mm -hmm. Dwarf is just its own class. Um, yeah, apparently. And you travel through this, what for the time was a very rich-looking series of environments, fighting enemies with quite detailed sprite work, and um, on occasion, riding these like mystical beasts uh, around and using them in combat as like steeds, like little drakes and things like that. Mm -hmm. Um, it's fondly remembered by a great number of people for its, like, pseudo-Conan uh, high fantasy world and its yeah. uh, incredible visual design for the time, as well as for its difficulty and kind of the, the weighty meatiness of the combat. Um, Golden Axe received a, a failed reboot on the PlayStation 3, or PlayStation 3 and Xbox? I think just PlayStation. Uh, mm -hmm. called Golden Axe Beast Rider. And it was <laughs> a... Uh, it was like a pseudo-God of War character action game. Mm -hmm. And apparently people did not like it at all. <laughs> um, but no, Streets of Rage, River City Ransom, and um, Golden Axe are the only classical beat-em-up properties I have any experience with. Um, I have seen the Shaq Fu reboot beat-em-up. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I saw that, too. And 
it looks awful and I kind of want it. Yeah, exactly. Um, but, yeah. There's apparently DLC where President Obama fights Kanye West. Sure. No, that's an that actual is, thing. People made a beat-em-up where you could play as former President of the United States Barack Obama I against, like, I think some kind of evil sorcerer Kanye. Yeah. I mean, n now that I think about it, isn't beat-em-ups, like, like, the most popular genre when it comes to, you know, people trying to make their Flash games on the internet, you know, just like those crappy little games, or... um in the olden times, whenever there would be like a, a video game adaptation of a popular either movie or show or something, I think that beat-em-ups was usually a go-to um, genre to aim for. Like we had a couple of Batman uh, games, there were Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle games. Yeah. Um, yeah, it, it always felt like, you know, um, if you have any sort of superhero or something like that, beat-em-ups is where you want to go. Yeah, let's uh, let's also not forget Spider Man as well. That's right. Yes, um, the Avengers had their own beat 'em up yeah. game back in the day. Mm -hmm. Uh, that was surprisingly better and deeper than the Avengers beat 'em up we got last year. Um, I don't remember such game. <laughs> it was either like Avengers or X Men and the Avengers. Mm -hmm. Um, could be. Yeah. But you're absolutely right. It's one of the. M or, like, back in the day, it was one of the more accessible formats for, like, recognized properties. Because something else I noticed, like, looking through a catalog of the more popular beat-em-ups is, man, a lot of these games are designed for arcade hardware, right? Or a lot of them are fairly short and simple. And so what that allowed devs to do is when they put action at the forefront of a game in that kind of uh, format is it allows them to emphasize, like, large, detailed florid striking character designs and sprites mm -hmm. it was a type of game that more often than not compared to its contemporaries looked really impressive right yeah. um they were able to communicate the visceral excitement of action visually in a way that a game that maybe was more complex or just harder mm -hmm. to program couldn't using yeah. like you know the restrictions of what you could fit on a game card um, but I think it's really interesting that we found the hack and slash tie-in earlier, because while mm -hmm. it should be evident at this point, neither of us are terribly knowledgeable about pure beat-em-ups, I think we both have a lot of experience with hack and slashes, right? Yep, definitely. So why don't you just outline for me some of your experience, because you listed also a lot of character action games there, uh, Devil May Cry, Bayonetta, mm -hmm. Wonderful 101. What's your experience been like with hack and slash games? And kind of how do you feel about this modern take on beat-em-ups as a whole? I think that Hack and Slash was kind of like a spiritual successor to beat-em-ups when the whole, uh, like, the whole gaming, um, well, the, the gaming community swapped from 2D to 3D. Mm -hmm. um, because I, I think that beat-em-ups would be very hard to um, accomplish in a 3D environment. So um, w when it comes to Hack and Slash games, I... I think one of the first ones that I ever played was Onimusha. Mm -hmm. If you remember that one, uh, and I like it's in my head still because I think that I had like a scratched copy or something like that because I couldn't save 
and it kept us just like tossing me back to the like the to, through the first level over and over again and that was so annoying but since, since i was a kid i found that very fun so <laughs> i was playing the same level over and over again and was that the first onimusha warlords um yes that's the one with tank animation. controls yes Ooh. <laughs> yep then um also one of the the one of the first hack and slash games that I played was Devil May Cry, the original one. Yes. Which for me was a little bit different because, you know, compared to Onimusha and Devil May Cry, you're not not only want to beat the enemy, but you want to do it in a stylish way. So you get um, graded. You get graded, yes. Which was yeah, quite quite different. Um what else? I, I mean, there are the games that I really wanted to play, uh, like Lollipop Chainsaw. Yeah. Was one of those games that I kept uh, watching on YouTube, you know, people play or um, some sort of like previews, but I, I was never able to play it uh, on my own. No, it was, um, uh, it was a console exclusive to uh, so, yeah. Xbox 360 and PS3, and you hardly ever see Xbox copies, at least around here. Yeah. Um, and it was never ported, like, to PC or other platforms, right? Mm-hmm, yeah. As oh, that's a I damn know. shame. Yeah, I it, really wanted to play that one, but, yeah. It has one of the best, like, boss designs I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. And if you're familiar um, with the game, I'm sure you can guess which. Um, no. Uh, Josie James, the funk zombie? Ah, uh, I remember watching that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In like the ridiculously loud uh, arcade tower. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah, I remember that. Looking kind of like T Pain in a diaper for some reason. Yeah. Yeah, um, I, I saw that. I think on YouTube it was <laughs> hilarious. Um, but no, yeah, all of these games you listed are absolutely fantastic, and I think they take the basic tenets of beat 'em ups as we understand them. An emphasis on yeah. combat that's easy to pick up and play, but technically complex. Like, there's a lot of depth mm -hmm. to it. Um, a wide variety of enemies, many of whom are a little bit weaker to give the player an ability to learn and test out their moves. And these yeah. big set-piece battles that, to my mind, really became the, the kind of defining uh, hallmark of hack-and-slash and character action titles um, yeah. really well. I, I will say, I just flatly greatly prefer hack and slash to more traditional uh brawlers mm. why do you think uh hack um beat em ups evolved into hack and slash instead of just you know transferring the formula into 3d well this is where i can only speculate and i must uh emphasize for our audience I am not an expert on video game design i'm not much of an expert on anything but my perspective <laughs> is this so much of the core design philosophy of the traditional beat-em-ups I've played or that I'm aware of has to deal with uh, communicating the visceral action, like the excitement, the adrenaline rush of combat mm -hmm. in a way that is quite accessible to the player and um, is kind of thrill a minute. Now, as technology became increasingly sophisticated and allowed development teams to do more, to include more in their game, both in terms of detail and in terms of, like, content volume. Uh, 
I believe it was only natural for some teams and some projects to look at this type of game, right? The archetype of a combat-heavy, like, blood-pumping game and mm -hmm. start to place an emphasis, not only an added emphasis on, like, um, technical sophistication or, like, the, the ceiling of play, right? How complex, how professional you can get. Like, I think about mm -hmm. Devil May Cry is a game that has a ridiculous metagame to it. Like, how best... Uh, one can learn Dante's controls or his movesets in order to, say, make it through the whole game without taking a hit and taking enemies down really quickly or something like that. Um, yeah. But also, refining these capabilities and expanding them with an eye towards uh, spectacle, right? We don't just mm -hmm. want you to feel combat. We want you to see it. We want you to experience it as a multimedia showcase. We want to make this as over-the-top, as grandiose, as striking an experience as we possibly can. That's how you get mm -hmm. games like Devil May Cry, like Beautiful Joe, like um, a lot of beat-em-ups maybe that don't focus as much on intense character action, but more on just really distinct-looking bosses. I'm thinking... Uh, like Rygar, the Legendary Journeys, or the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles PlayStation era, yeah. PlayStation Two era game that I grew up with. Um, mm -hmm. They want to constantly provide the player with these tableaus of over-the-top action, cool character designs, impressive-looking animations and maneuvers. And it seems to me so much of the core design philosophy of a good hack and slash is based around that. Is based around spectacle overwhelming the senses with pure undilute badassery from moment to moment. Um, yeah. It, the, currently on stream, I'm playing through a series that I would consider to be hack and slashes or like very, very uh, like mild character action games, the devil may cry franchise and mm -hmm. DMC or DMC. Devil, no more heroes is what I'm playing. Not devil may cry shit. Yeah. Um, I was like, wait, did I miss your streams? Yeah, no, as it happens, I've been playing through two series at once because um, grad student, efficient. Oh, my God. Yeah. This is almost as bad <laughs> as the wooden trees bit from my No More Heroes <laughs> 1 playthrough. Oh, yeah. Uh, These trees look like they've been made of wood. Mm -hmm. Oh, right. Of course, that's the bit you've... That's the bit of the playthrough you attended. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> the most important thing. Um, I hear everything. But no. Um... I've been playing through the No More Heroes franchise, and they strike me as, like, archetypical, or archetypal, very, like, kind of simple hack-and-slash games. And so much of the design ethos for that series is based around really distinct boss battles that don't necessarily have a great deal of story or plot behind them. They often don't, or they're kind of shoehorned in. But the visuals, the sound, all of the maneuvers that both characters perform in cutscenes or in battle are clearly designed to be as impressive as they possibly can be. Um, and I think that is what, to me, defines a hack-and-slash or a good character action game. It's all about the spectacle. It's all about how over-the-top and how striking and how memorable this action scene or this character model presents itself as to me. Mm-hmm. But uh, when it comes to hack and slash games, do you think that you like them because of the gameplay or because of the um, stories? Certainly not the story. Um, a lot of hack and slash games have fairly simple stories, which is okay. Mm -hmm. um, but I am I'm usually a huge fan of the hack and slashes I pick up and play because the gameplay is 
more often than not, if I think about like a Bayonetta or I think about a Devil May Cry or even Beautiful Joe or something like that, uh, the gameplay is usually quite intricate. There's a great deal of depth to it. So I can easily pick up, say, the sword in Bayonetta. Like, she, you, you can get a sword quite early on, and it has its own moveset. And mm -hmm. I can play through the game perfectly fine with the sword. I won't die very many times, but I won't get, like, phenomenal grades in individual combat encounters wow. because I've not learned everything I can do with that weapon. I can learn how mm -hmm. to combo it with the other weapons and movesets I have. I can learn how best to use dodge timing to, like, charge up its most powerful attacks. I can find out what its most powerful attacks are, which ones have the most range. There's all of these little technical, um, like, minutiae to every mm -hmm. aspect of a good hack and slash's uh, combat system that is, are usually really enthralling to me. I love learning, and I love learning by doing in a hands-on fashion, so that appeals to me. Mm -hmm. But more than anything else, man, I play my hack and slashes for, uh, again, the spectacle of the audio-visual design. You know, how cool is yeah. the next area gonna look? What, what, What's the next enemy gonna look like? What is the boss design or theme gonna be here? I can't wait to see it. What about you? Yeah, I, I think that that is, like, a fair point. Like, um, I, I think that hack and slashes have a much superior storytelling uh, compared to beat-em-ups. Mm -hmm. um, but also, I'm not really playing it because of the story, but because of satisfaction of killing a lot of enemies uh, with, like, shiny moves. Yeah. And I don't know why, but it just, you know, tickles my special places every time. <laughs> Especially in Devil May Cry, like, when you um, can swipe your sword and, and then kind of, like, fly up and then take the enemies up with you and then just kind of, like, play ping-pong with them and yes. not let them fall to the ground. It's it's really really satisfying and just the um, the music for example in Devil May Cry series in in, uh, in particular is so adrenaline building. It's really um, good. Yeah, it really makes you want to keep playing it over and over again. Well, right, and there's also so much to like the way combat is designed to feel. Right, in a lot of these games, it's designed to yeah. feel impactful, really punchy and weighty. Um, yeah. like for me, when I play Devil May Cry. Nothing ever feels better than when a room-crossing stinger hits home. Oh, yeah. Oh, that is, like, just inject that directly into my veins. It's so good. Mm -hmm. Um, but, I, uh... Talking about Devil May Cry, we can also uh, focus on the spectacle aspect of this, this commentary. Mm -hmm. Because, think about all the really good fights in Devil May Cry that maybe aren't the best mechanically, but look really cool, or engage uh, certain aspects of the base gameplay in a way that normal encounters don't, right? I think mm -hmm. two great examples of this for me are from Devil May Cry 3, which, uh, would you say that's probably the best of the series overall? Um, I would say 3 and 5, at least for me. It's a toss-up between 3 and 4 for me, but I've not played 5, so... Um, yeah, I, I would recommend it, it's really good. I, uh, and really I, ridiculous. I know there's a character with a cane who just reads a book while the bosses from the first game do all the work. I quite ah, like that playstyle. Yeah, yeah. yeah, V. Mm. Um, but the two fights for me that kind of emphasize everything I love about character action games, uh, bereft of a great deal of like adrenaline pumping action in the fight itself, are mm -hmm. the Jester fights mm -hmm. and the Doppelganger fight. Yeah. Now, yeah. 
neither of those like push the player to their absolute limits far from it but they've got really cool designs insofar as the enemy the arena the types of attacks you've got to evade and the methods you have to use to damage the bosses Mm -hmm. um i i don't know that that kind of communicates a lot of what i find uh really appealing about these types of games what what do you think Mm mm-hmm yeah, uh, I agree, but um, I don't know. W- when it comes to Devil May Cry series in general, mm-hmm. w- what I like about it, not only because um, the uh, the combat system, which is, as I said, highly satisfying, but also the game doesn't take itself very seriously. Right. And I- I've noticed that that is quite common in hack and slash games. Usually they do not take themselves very seriously. Um, it's kind of like, you know, lo- laws of physics are not really there um just the point of it is to look the most awesome that you can and have fun while doing it right no they're often like the cheesy like uh mid-80s action films of the video game landscape exactly yeah yeah. you know what everybody loves those movies yeah I mean, uh, when it comes to Devil May Cry in particular, um, the creator said that they wanted to make Dante be the most typical ever uh, white male protagonist that is like uh, super macho and super like lone wolf kind of thing. So they mm-hmm. really wanted to create a stereotype and completely destroy him during the during the um, course of the game. So, for example, in Devil May Cry 5, you have a scene where he's doing the Michael Jackson dancing. Yes. So it's... <laughs> It's, yeah, it's ridiculous, but it's, you know, um, moments like this uh, that really fulfill, um, just, like, make your experience complete. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, And it's funny you bring that up, because uh, Suda51 did the same exact thing, largely, when creating uh, the protagonist for No More Heroes, Travis Touchdown. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. with the exception that he didn't just want to deconstruct the tropes of, like, the this normative white male protagonist. He wanted you to hate him. So, yeah. Travis is a vulgar, kind of lazy, extraordinarily perverse individual who thinks he's the hero in some action anime, or what have you. Mm-hmm. And so much of the, the character development, quote-unquote character development, we get over the first couple of games is him learning very slowly because he's very stupid that mm-hmm. um like that that kind of lifestyle from like a shonen manga or anime where you're just fighting constantly and killing people out of a sense of misguided honor or what have you actually isn't a desirable thing like that's not a good yeah. thing um yep. and instead you are meant to sympathize with or at the very least approve of his opponents far more than the protagonist himself, hence why they get all of the really cool action shots. Mm-hmm. And also, when it comes to ridiculous character, let's not forget Bayonetta. Oh, God, no. I mean, she is an absolute stereotype when it comes to female representation in uh, fighting games. You mm-hmm. know, just like, very tight, uh, I don't know, dress or a suit or whatever. A bodysuit you know, made out of her own hair. Oh yeah, the bodysuit made out of, out of your own hair is definitely what I would like to wear for Halloween. <laughs> Said no one ever. <clears throat> um, but you're right. Uh, the interesting thing about Bayonetta is, and correct me if I'm wrong, like with Dante, the uh, director wanted explicitly to try to 
take the stereotype so far that it cannot be taken seriously. Exactly, um, yeah. Hence why a lot of people say Bayonetta's character design or her characterization is so effective because she's, like, so aggressively non-sexual. <laughs> like, yeah, like again, yeah. this is a joke. This is a ridiculous stereotype. Somebody who is, like, two-thirds legs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> two-thirds legs, yes. That, that really? Just, just about. <laughs> yeah. I've also, like, read in a couple of places that, like, Bayonetta's genre is uh, sexy hack and slash. So, like... I'm sorry, that's a specific they... subgenre? No, I, I think that was mostly meant as a joke. Because I would hope so. Just, yeah, it's like so much focused on um, doing that that it's like, hey, you know what? It's basically a genre. <laughs> I was about to say, sexy and the image of like blades flying all over the place do not go together in, yep. <laughs> in my mind. That's great though. So, um,. I, I guess that leaves us with games like uh, Devil May Cry being a stylish hack and slash, or uh, Shaq Fu being a shitty beat em up. <laughs> yeah, but um, yeah, coming back to 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 beat em ups in general, um, I think that it was tried like as a genre to be revived again, like through the indie game development. Yeah, or like kickstarted projects. Yeah. Of course. However, I don't see it catching up um, as well as the uh, platformer revival uh, has been uh, catching up. So, for example, uh, while doing my research, there is only one name that I've seen that is kind of like, you know, still playable or is mm -hmm. being played to this day, and that is uh, an online game. Um, I think in some somewhere in Asia, probably either Korea or China, I'm not sure. Called uh, Dungeon Fighter Online. Okay. So, so yeah, it's an online game, and it's apparently so popular that it has its own like anime adaptation and manga adaptation. So you know, it's it's bringing money, but I don't see it being as popular here in the West. Do you think that maybe also um, cultural differences have a big impact on you know the death of beat 'em ups? Cultural differences less so, because I think um, it's just uh, kind of a fact of the industry that different markets tend to go for different types of games, right? Um, for instance, first-person shooters do not sell in Japan at all. Yeah. Um, yeah. And likewise, say, um, visual novels and dating sims have a really hard time selling um, in the U.S., or I think in Europe as well, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so different markets have different tastes. I think so much of what has reduced the beat-em-up to the, the state it's in today, based on my limited understanding, can really be attributed to two things. One, the fact that the definition of beat-em-up, as it's commonly accepted uh, within gaming as a, as a culture, is very narrow. Like, it's one of those mm -hmm. pure beat-em-ups, right? A side-scrolling, like, uh, fist-throwing... Uh, really simple knockdown drag out title yeah and concomitant with that the rise of hack and slash titles of character action games or of more robust games like uh open world uh adventure or action platformer titles integrating a deeper more visceral feeling combat has kind of uh subsumed a lot of the market that more traditional beat-em-ups would rely on right there's mm -hmm. to put it simply games that do or types of games that do combat deeper and do it better 
um, or in a way that's more accessible or appealing to a broader audience. Therefore, mm -hmm. you are invariably going to see beat-em-ups as we are defining them, so this very traditional type of beat-em-up, uh, relegated to a healthy but fairly inflexible niche audience. And uh, to be fair, mm -hmm. a lot of these games still have a healthy audience. Like when uh, I think that Double Dragon remake was released, or the New Streets of Rage, or uh, The Takeover, which was published in part, or um, developed in part with uh, the support of or I think direct involvement of uh, Matt Kowalewski from Best Friends Play, who's a huge fan mm -hmm. of those types of games. Um, there's an audience for those types of games. There just, however, is not a considerable audience or a rapidly expanding audience. The mm -hmm. thing we have to remember, or something that seems apparent to me, and I could be wrong about this, and listeners who are a bit older than I or remember the early to mid-2000s um, more concretely than I do, please feel free to weigh in, um, is that platformers as a genre, especially as they evolved into and entered into the 3D space, pretty consistently maintained a very wide audience, right? Yeah. It was that the tastes of developers, or more specifically publishers, and those tasked with selling consoles shifted away from platformers, mixed perhaps with a slight um, uh, inundation of the market. Uh, somewhat market... Uh, uh, sorry, I'm just tripping all over myself today. A small measure of market fatigue that may have temporarily impeded the success of platforming as a genre. But now that we have a consistent number of really high-quality platformers being released once again, for the first time in a good long while, that same audience and new audiences are coming to appreciate them. Beat-em-ups just don't have that same broad-based appeal, or not at present, and there's other games that take a lot of the most appealing features of those games and adapt them to formats that are a little bit deeper or do appeal to a broader audience. I think about, like, Yakuza you mentioned earlier, which is at its face a pretty simple brawler and probably one of the closest things to a 3D translation of the 2D side-scrolling beat-em-up formula we've seen, but that is mm -hmm. so deep, with masterfully written true crime stories, with um, scores of actually fun, substantial mini-games that reflect the gameplay loop, a charming cast in each and every installment, and a deep, customizable combat system that is varied with every single release. Like, that's just going to appeal to more people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. I also think that one of the things that uh, brought beat-em-up genre to its, well... I wouldn't say death, but like it's very sorry state that it's in right now is also the um, basically death of arcades. Yes. Because arcades were what popularized uh, basically the the entire genre, and there was something, you know, fun in going there with your friends and being two street fighters that are mm -hmm. trying to I don't know s save someone. Um, and I don't think that experience is easily translatable into modern-day gaming. No, and you're absolutely right. There's a totally different um, judgment we make in um, whether we're like in an arcade with a friend and blowing like a few quarters or a, a handful of dollars on a game that we can enjoy for maybe half an hour, right? 
Mm -hmm. um, and dropping $50, $60 on the in same course, type of yeah. game to play on our own or like over a wireless uh. network. Mm -hmm. It's a yeah. very, very different experience. The cost is much higher for the latter. And mm -hmm. uh, we have to remember, a lot of the traditional beat-em-ups were designed for a certain, uh, a certain ease of pick-up and play, a certain um, accessibility. And yeah. I don't think many of them are the types of games that many people would want to sit down and play for hours on end, like regularly. Mm -hmm. So you're going there to attract to a niche audience. More. Yes. Yeah. So, for example, one of the also uh, beat 'em up titles that I have played recently that I completely forgot about before is Guacamole. But um, Guacamole is um, kind of like uh, mixed with the Metroidvania style yeah. games. So that is what it made it popular. I think the Metroidvania part of it, not the beat 'em ups part of it, part of it. Um, and I think that's quite a lot of titles that you can nowadays see that are being titled as beat-em-ups. What made them popular is that one other aspect. Yeah. Uh, either a story that is exceptionally good, um, that is not something that is not a definition of a beat-em-up game, or, um, I don't know, a puzzle mechanic maybe that is um, also not a part of a beat-em-up um, definition. So usually or, it's that other thing that is pulling it out. Yeah, and oftentimes in the games that tend to stick the closest to the combat-centric focus of like a traditional beat-em-up or hack-and-slash, I think yeah. that extra element, that X factor, is usually audio-visual design. Like, yep. I remember Bayonetta most strongly for the incredible designs of its enemies and the over-the-top finishers you could perform on them. The fact that boss battles in that game and in Wonderful 101 take up entire stages with these multi-phase, like, productions that you're put on and forced to fight through. Um, the moment-to-moment -moment combat gameplay is good, but it's nowhere near as memorable as the challenges and environments that I was expected to navigate with it. Um, mm -hmm. And yeah, like walking down a back alley and beating up the same three or four guys over and over again to get my car back or something is not... And, and I know, that's a bit <laughs> reductive. And a bit unfair, but it's just not as appealing to me. Sorry, what were you going to say? Uh, I, I said you can do that in real life, you know? You don't need yeah. to play a video game to do that. No, no, that's, absolutely. That's, that's basically what we want, you know? We want uh, something to do that we cannot do in real life and walking down the street and beating people until you get to your car is a completely realistic situation. <laughs> Especially if you tried to get like valet parking at downtown Nashville. <laughs> yeah. And also, you know, just like enemies spawning behind you in, uh, you know, in dozens is completely, completely realistic. I mean, just see in cyberpunk police. There we go. Policemen always spawn behind you, uh, no matter where you go. So it's like, eh, okay, I guess I gotta kill them all. No, Tina, don't you understand? It's part of the game's commentary, man. It's that the government, it's that the corpo, like, uh, sellouts are always watching you. They're right I... there, and you don't realize it. <laughs> they just yes. teleport behind you. Even when you steal a taco in the middle of the desert, and, like, 20 of them materialize out of thin air. Yep. Well, I think that they just did that, you know, for your own good. You really should not uh, pick up tacos from very suspicious places. 
Look, look, it's it's Night City, like like it's Cyberpunk twenty seventy seven. Everything is shit, so it doesn't matter what you put in your body. <laughs> I'm just surprised that there was no like grungy music coming out of the taco because <laughs> apparently it's coming out of everything else. Oh God, were were the tacos tuned to Vexel Strom FM? <laughs> yep. Have you noticed too? Sorry, off topic, but we have to dig on Cyberpunk a little. It's always the same exact radio station. Yep. Like it's always I, the same. Before I just had enough of cyberpunk and shelved it, I did drive around and try out some of the other uh, radio stations at length, like maybe five to six minutes each. And there's some diversity of sound. Not a lot of it's great, but I mean, there's like different genres of music that you just never hear. Yep. It's just all butt rock. And you know what I realized? Like at some point, I was playing, uh, playing cyberpunk, and I was like going around in my car. I have no idea what I was doing. Probably nothing, you know, smart. And then at some point, I was like, oh, I kind of am starting to like this music, you know. And I was, I started whistling it and uh-huh. singing a little bit, and, and then I realized it was my own radio playing because I muted <laughs> all of the radios in game. So yes. <laughs> oh man, yep. that's great. Um, no, my. My brand of futuristic music sounds a lot more like No Straight Roads and a lot less like cyberpunk. Yeah. I just let want a bit of diversity and cyberpunk just did not have that. Um, no, so no it didn't. Beat-em-ups. You know, I want the diversity of attacks and enemies and stuff, and beat-em-ups does have a good variety of enemies, but when it comes to attacks, it's just the same old... So, uh, I'm looking forward to the Streets of Rage developers' uh, yellow screen tweets. We apologize also if you have uh, heard this one random podcast from Narnia. Uh, yes, we are gonna sue them. <laughs> uh, please don't. No, please, please don't. don't have you. Money. <laughs> please, 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 no. Um, yeah, I, I guess we can start you know with some closing words now yes please would you like to go first yeah i mean we we really this time did not have that much to talk about the topic mostly because as a genre beat-em-ups really has not aged or has not matured or really has not passed its starting stage that was like 25 years ago uh 25 slash 30 years ago so um yeah, when it comes to now, like, um, the present times, um, usually we are gonna go for hack and slash ty- types of games mm-hmm. because they just bring more to the table. And more often than not, through the table. Yeah, through the table and the wall and any other uh, solid object. Just like the cars in Cyberpunk 2077. Absolutely. Sometimes they even jump by themselves. <laughs> um, anything else to add? No. Okay, so I will just largely echo your thoughts. Um, I think we don't have much to say about the current state of beat-em-ups because there is no clearly chartable path of progression or, like, a genealogical um, progression we can chart from the genre's early days in, like, the 80s and 90s on through the present. Because so many of its mechanics are subsumed by and incorporated into other emergent genres, and these genres are more often than not 
what we're presented with today, but also I think speaking uh, for the two of us, what we just generally prefer to engage with. Mm-hmm. Um, because hack and slash games, character action games, more um, versatile action brawlers just tend to have a little bit more to them and more areas wherein they appeal to individual uh, players or audiences. Uh, mm-hmm. But I think it's very important to look back at the earlier days of gaming as a medium, especially like the the days in which titles were promulgated through or lived or died by arcades to learn what lessons we can about design, about marketing, and about like the crafting of player experience from them. Because there's a lot of fundamental lessons about the way combat should be designed, about the way combat should feel, about the importance of spectacle to a player's experience in a crafted world that we can learn from beat-em-ups and that we can learn from the late 80s and early 90s in general. So do I see this genre making a resurgence in its purest form in the future? Not to a significant extent, no, though it does enjoy a very, very healthy niche audience. But Mm -hmm. I do see more and more games continuing to iterate upon, expand on, and refine the systems, the mechanics, the lessons that they gave us as like a community based around an industry to learn from and apply in different ways. Like Bayonetta 3 is coming out soon. I can't wait. Um, no More Heroes 3. Soon, PM. Yeah, the same. Cannot wait. So many excellent games that incorporate uh, combat, maybe derived by or inspired uh, by uh, beat-em-ups in really interesting ways that I cannot wait to experience and share with, with my friends and the rest of the world. So, um, I think that's it. You have nothing more to add, Tina? Nope. That is it. All right. Um, oh, except, except basically, um, if any of you disagrees with us, uh, feel free to reach out to us and tell us why we are wrong. Yes, please. Um, this is not an area where we're like exceptionally knowledgeable and it's the first time since starting the podcast we've decided to take on a topic of this nature um so we are more than happy to engage in dialogue with you if you have any questions concerns or comments please feel free to post them uh to tina's discord where there is a dedicated channel reserved for podcast talk and interactions with listeners um until next time ladies and gentlemen i can't thank you enough for spending your time with us today I hope you have a wonderful rest of your week Um, and feel free to, as I said, drop by uh, Tina's discord or follow us right here on the platform. You're accessing this podcast from now to receive new episodes on more often than not a weekly basis. As we dive into a new issue, either serious or silly concerning gaming as a culture and an industry every week. Until next time, this is Brady, the overanalyst on Twitch, uh, with Martina, or Seth, the overwitch on Twitch. Uh, (laughs) I love our names, how they rhyme. Yes, it's perfect. Um, Thanking you all so, so much, and wishing you a wonderful rest of your week. Thank you, and take care.